Had some popcorn. I like microwave popcorn. I don't see what people, I don't know if why anybody, I, I'm, I'm, maybe this might be a straw man, but I like microwave popcorn. I mean, all right, sure. But uh, non-microwave popcorn, I think you would agree is better. You know, I don't know because my lady friend is a bit of a artisanal uh, popcorn appreciator. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I think this is, I will never say this aloud, but I think it might be because of Instagram ads. But but things to, <laughs> Instagram ads for popcorn? Well, there's some stuff that's in our house that I'm pretty sure is because of Instagram. And includes yeah. um this um this popper thing that it's like for doing it in the microwave, but I don't I, I don't notice that much difference. Here's what I will tell you. I think it's ridiculous how crappy the popcorn is at movie theaters and it makes me sad. That's kind of what microwave popcorn reminds me of though. Like we like a we stale do. kind of styrofoam feeling. Not stale, because I'm not going to sit here and say microwave popcorn is bad. I don't think movie theater popcorn is bad. It is what it is, but yeah. it definitely tastes different than, quote-unquote, regular popcorn. It has a little bit more of a, if we could compare it, it's more of like a fast food kind of thing, which, again, isn't necessarily bad if that's what you're in the mood for, but it's like right. the difference between, I don't know, I'm trying to find an example here. It's difficult because I don't, I can't pick franchises, but... Well, let me let me let me contra what you just said. I think it's in some ways not dissimilar to French fries, which is there's not many that many terrible French fries in the world, but it, it's not quite the same as a French fry that just came out of the fryer at McDonald's. Well, French fries are, are tricky though, yeah, because McDonald's is one of the best. Well, used to be one of the best French fries, and it's also the cheapest. I'm trying to think of maybe like, oh, I don't know, like a a frozen pizza versus a good mm. real pizza, right? Frozen oh, yeah. pizza. No one's going to say a frozen pizza is better than good pizza, but sometimes you're hungry and it's late at night and all you have is some stupid frozen pizza and you heat it up and you eat it. And, and, it's and like it'll, it'll be fine. And, and you're not fooling yourself into thinking you're having pizza. What you're having is frozen pizza. It's a whole different right. thing. And then it's mm-hmm. fine. It gets us back into this uh, ceiling and floor discussion, mm-hmm. which I think is fascinating. Where, where I had said, like, I think, I think you disagree, I believe, but like a meatball to me oh, is yeah, no, a pretty high floor food. Not for me at all. Yes, I totally disagree with that. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, but popcorn, though, I think row, it's hard. Wrong. It's hard so, to screw up popcorn too badly. I mean, I guess you can put bad tasting stuff on top of it, but if you're just putting some kind of fake butter thing and salt on popcorn, like it's pop, it's really hard to screw up popcorn. You don't do any of the work. You take a corn yeah. kernel and you pop it. Just don't don't burn it. But like I just the one that I just ate is Pop Secret. Uh, I think it's called Movie Theater Popcorn. Yeah, and it's those, just slathered with yeah. with oily butter. Butter yeah, going for that artificial dish. flavor that doesn't taste good. But I would I would encourage you if you haven't done this before to try. This is you know I grew up with this kind of popcorn, and we had a dark time in the wilderness where we had microwave popcorn in the house, and then eventually I brought back the regular one, the old, good old fashioned popcorn popper. You put a little bit of corn oil on the bottom, you pour mm-hmm. some kernels on there. The thing gets hot, it pops, and then you melt some butter and you put uh, melted melted butter and or salt on there. That is a different animal than microwave popcorn. We should make it a challenge. We should make it a challenge for the show. Like, could you maybe on your show that has challenges? You could do that. Make real Mm -hmm. popcorn. Add it to the document for Dubai Friday. But what I'm saying is a Pepsi challenge. Like, maybe have somebody else who's good make it for you. You wouldn't allow that, I imagine. But like, can can you identify which one is? Can I identify? Of course I can. It's like saying, can Hmm. I identify a real pizza versus frozen pizza? Of course you can. Hmm. Hmm. Of course you can. The concept for this show is really good. You know, I don't think we're nearing the end of this yet unless, you know, we tire of one another because I think there's there's still so much to resolve. Do, John. do you remember the Reese's thing that I tell you about that? The Reese's peanut butter cup the thing? The monkey? Oh, um, no. 
I don't All think right, so. Well, Tell this, me again. This should be informative for you to not not Pepsi challenge me with microwave popcorn versus regular popcorn. So you know the thing that Casey Casey is a big fan of Casey List, who will come up in a moment. Um, uh, but other people have mentioned it as well. It's a thing on the internet where you can order Reese's peanut butter cups, like <gasps> quote unquote, direct right. from the factory. Do you remember that? I do. I do remember this, and I thought it was confusing why people were talking about it. But you can get like artisanal, not artisanal, but like you can get bespoke fresh cups. They're not bespoke. They're literally the same thing you would buy in the store. There is nothing different about them. The only difference is how long it takes between when they are manufactured and when they go into your mouth. Because the ones you find in the store, as you imagine, they're manufactured. They wind their way through distribution. They're in warehouses. They go Mm -hmm. to the store. They sit in front of the cash register for six months. Changing temperatures. That's a big thing for you, right? Like it could be, it could be hot and cold and melting. And you don't know how long they've been there. Like when no. you're in, in the mm-hmm. impulse purchase aisle, the cash register, how long is that Reese's peanut butter cup in there? It could be in there for six months. Like they go bad Oof. real fast. You right? start reading They're... dates in this world, it's going to change your game. Right. So the whole thing was like, oh, for some limited time, you can get these ones fresh from the factory. So they manufacture them, they put them in a box, they ship them to your house. Right. Wow. Okay. Um, but it's literally the same product. There's no, as far as I know, there is no real difference between them and, and the ones that are in the stores. Oh, actually, scratch that. There is one difference. Visually, they look a little bit of a different color, but I think that could be just because of the age. You know what I mean? Like that they mm-hmm. sort of oxidize a little bit. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Like the way the way the, 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 <laughs> the phrase I picked up from my wife and her family, if you got like a Hershey's bar and it sucked and it was kind of whitish, they'd say mm. it's played. That chocolate's played. Yeah. This is old. It's oxidized. Um, so we got those, you know, Casey was a big fan of them. We're talking about, I was like, yeah, we'll try that. They're expen- They're more expensive when you do it this way, of course. So we got a bunch of those in the house and we were eating them. And the consensus of most of my family was, yeah, I don't see what the big deal is. I would never pay more for this. Like they're, they taste the same as the regular ones. Um, and I'm not a big, I'm the, that's not one of my favorite candies. And I'm like, yeah, I can see how maybe you would want to pay the premium for it, but certainly you can tell that they taste different. And everyone's like, eh, I don't know. So we did the Pepsi challenge taste test. We Ooh. blindfolded people, cut them up into little pieces. So you couldn't see the color difference and you couldn't sort of like feel to like, see if there's any texture difference. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then we blindly, you know, we picked like, you know, six or 10 different samples for each person, 10 little things. And we blindfolded them and put them into their mouth. And they had to say, did I just feed you the fresh one or the one that we just bought uh-huh. from Wal- the Walgreens did it to the whole family. Uh, everyone else in the family, in my recollection, it was was no better than chance. They were basically 50-50, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got every single one of them right. Woof. But that's that's with, I mean, is that related to your super that's, tasting? That's su- super that's tasting super is bitterness. Tasting. It's absolutely super tasting. Because oh, like, bitterness is always there. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if it was bitterness. They just Isn't tasted. Bitterness the primary thing for a super taster. Like it's you, one, that's what you use to test for it. But I don't think Reese's peanut butter cups are particularly bitter. Oh, I didn't taste know the, that. I thought it just meant you were more sensitive to bitter things. No, it's more sensitive to everything. Oh well, that changes everything. Tastes like a thousand pears. A thousand pears. The, the Miami Giants song. Uh, super taster. Whatever. Oh, Miami Giants. Oh, oh, the band. They might be giants. Okay. Is that James Ensor, the famous Belgian painter? I got this quote wrong. I know I got this quote wrong. John Lee Super Taster. I got it wrong on uh, on ATP, so I'm trying to get it right here. Okay. Yeah, John Lee Super Taster uh, from They Might Be Giants on uh, album. What is the album? One of their later ones. T TMBG Unlimited number two. When he tastes a pair, it's like a hundred pairs. It's like a million pairs. I got the number wrong again. Anyway. See, I um, thought you were making reference to the Stuart Lee pear cider bit. No. Mm. But anyway, the, the whole point is it's like it's like asking you to tell the difference. Oh, I'm going to give you a carrot and then a chocolate bar. You tell, Can you identify which is which? apples and onions. Remember that can, in Boy Scouts? That you yeah, can, you, take, can you identify you tell, which is which? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can identify can which is which. you tell an apple from an onion? 
Because they taste different. That's how you can tell. They taste it, different. The onion tastes more yeah. like an onion. It's like people, or whatever, people with perfect, perfect pitch. Like, is, what note is this? It's like, it's like yep. saying, what color is this? Uh, it's yep, red. Yep, 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 yep. I, I, I wish I had something like that. I wonder if I do. Huh. Apparently you do. It's You can tell where you were when you heard something. <laughs> it's, again, like I said, it's not, uh, mm. unlike... Uh, I did uh, say that, it? didn't I? Yeah. yeah the, unlike the last Starfighter or um, or someone in an, a bad and Night Shyamalan movie, it's very unlikely that your particular superpower will come in handy for saving the world, but you oh, never know. Boy. No, I'm I'm getting much closer to like the the shattered glass guy. Um, no, no, wait, hang on. That's um, that's uh, that's that's uh, that's Darth Vader. He was in shattered glass. Glass uh, is the one with the Bone Man, right? I haven't seen Switching Glass. I've seen Unbreakable, and I have Switching Glass in my list of movies that I want to watch. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Um, we can all be sad about Bruce Willis. Yeah, that's a bummer. That's a bummer. Is, I think people feel kind of bad. That they, yeah, I don't know, man. Life's complicated. Um, yeah, I guess you could taste stuff. I need to learn more about super tasting. I have to be careful with they might be giants because I have to parcel it out because boy, their songs really get in my head. And apropos mm-hmm. of our mini top, my night topic this week, I, I will sometimes have it in my sleep. I'll have a, like a certain song that repeats over and mm-hmm. over in my sleep. It oh, makes yeah. me feel totally insane. And I have to be careful with, in particular, Dr. Worm. And to some degree, uh, man, it's so loud in here. But Dr. Worm is the one that's just like, is literally an earworm, as the Germans say. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm mostly listening to my daughter's music these days. Mm-hmm. When I drive her around, she, she plays her music in the car and has for a while now. And, uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of songs that I know and whatever. One of them got stuck in my head. Like you said, like I wake up in the morning and it's still there. <laughs> that it. type of thing. Mm-hmm. And it was, and you might know this one because you went and saw this person in concert. It was Prima Donna Girl by Marina. Prima Donna Girl. Yeah. Yeah. Marina. That was stuck, stuck in my head for multiple days and it was, it was a thing. That was a good concert. We just went to see John Mulaney the other night. Marina, all caps. Her name is all caps. John Mulaney. Is, is title case right but oh, marina yeah. so if, I go, if i go and look at wikipedia will it say styled as marina i mean i think so it's, i like when they tell caps. you how it's styled yeah mm-hmm. i appreciate that because i mean they got all the unicodes and whatnot but mm-hmm. uh they gotta let you know well, there's ones like i think of montreal is one that comes to mind that i think the of is uh <laughs> is, is it like of glenn or a fred from uh of yeah. Tale? yeah <laughs> same thing <laughs> oh, wrong week to bring that up. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, true. Alfred. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that's Rafe Fines, right? Oh, the, the evil dude. I, you, now that uh, you said that, he does, he does look like a Fines. I didn't realize they were related. I think it's Rafe Fines. I think he's Shakespeare in Love. Yeah, no, I see that. I see that uh, uh, resemblance now. I hadn't thought of that. You know, it's a pretty good. Um, I'm always forever talking about those. I enjoy those uh, career retrospective uh those cheesy career retrospective videos on YouTube. Like the John mm-hmm. Goodman one is really good. I watched recently the, um, who's the brother? Uh, wait, what's the brother? Who's the fines? Who, who's, uh, who's Voldemort? What's his name? Um, uh, Ralph. Wait, then who's the other one? Okay. So who's the Colonel? I didn't know the Colonel was a fines, but he definitely looks like one. They're brothers. I think or they were. Was well, a mess. Uh, Rafe, wait, now Rafe finds his Voldemort and he's also the fat Nazi. No, I mean, no, no shame, but he's also, he's also, he's the Nazi in Schindler's List. Joseph, Joseph, Joseph finds so shame on me. Joseph finds he's, he's Alberic Twitzelton. No, made up, totally made up names, just making up names. Yep. That's Shakespeare in love. 
This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Sourcegraph. You can learn more about Sourcegraph right now by visiting about.sourcegraph.com. So listen, you've hired a brilliant developer. That's great. But, but now you got to get them onboarded. How are you going to onboard them? Okay, so if your company is growing, and I hope it is, you're hiring, hiring people. So onboarding new developers will be a common occurrence, but it's a big undertaking each and every time. One of the biggest challenges for new hires is to get up to speed with the project that their new team is working on. This can be tricky if the code bases that your developers are working in are already large. Well, thankfully, Sourcegraph makes it easy to move fast even in those big code bases. Developers know that knowledge is most useful when it's findable. Sing it, sister. Centralization is helpful, but given the fact that most companies store knowledge in at least two different locations, how do you make knowledge accessible to those that need it? As a code intelligence platform, Sourcegraph gives developers what they need to drive their own learning over time and in different situations. Teams without Sourcegraph need to rely on asking colleagues or reviewing out-of-date documentation, which is cumbersome and time-consuming. Yuck. But with Sourcegraph, every developer can search across millions of repositories to find specific code, saving time for themselves and for everyone else. So when questions do come up, you know it's the big stuff that's worthy of the extra time. Sourcegraph was created to make developers' lives easier. And today they work with leading companies across every industry, including three out of the five top tech companies. That's a majority, you know? Uh, plus PayPal, Uber, Plaid, GE, Reddit, and Atlassian. Perhaps you've heard of some of these. Well, you need to get this in your life. So you go and you visit about.sourcegraph.com to learn more. That is about.sourcegraph.com to find out why some of the biggest tech companies in the world use Sourcegraph and to see what it can do for yours. You can also just click the link in our show notes and uh, you can let them know you heard about it from us. It, you know, it really helps John Syracuse. He doesn't have a job, so he could really use the help, little guy. Anyway, our thanks to Sourcegraph for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Hey everybody, welcome to Reconcilable Differences. You're, you're, this is maybe one of, this is the high holy days. This is the least ordinary time uh, of year. It's different from other times of year because in addition to this being uh, one of our weeks where we do bonus content for our beloved members, um, you, can, you can choose to join up, of course, at relay.fm slash rd slash join. Or just start mashing on keys until John gets money. We'll figure it out later. Uh, in addition to this being a, a bonus uh, content week, it's also, uh, we're not exactly sure when this came out or will come out because we're unstuck in time. You know what I mean? Listen, John Craig Syracuse is unstuck in time. Poti wheat. And um, that was a Kurt Vonnegut reference, just so you know. Mm-hmm. Um, is that, uh, so every, every year we visit, usually our bit is that we visit with friends of ours who are, in the best of circumstances, usually people who I won't say enjoy the show, but listen to the show. That's how I choose to look at it. They listen to the show. And do you want to tell people who our, who our guest was this year? This year, we had the other two members of Accidental Tech Podcast on this show. So it was a crossover event, ATP Rectus crossover event. That we called, if memory serves, I don't know if this is the title that we'll eventually pick in the future, where we all will spend the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. But uh, Accidental Emotional Podcast was the uh, scratch title for it. Yeah, not the most ambitious crossover event ever, but nevertheless a crossover event. Oh, it's event. up there. Yeah. And as I mentioned, uh, uh, a couple of be certain, certain spoilers uh, that we've given what we're talking about tonight. But um, it, was, it was just, it was funny to me because I started, I, I'm not saying this, you know, for clapping, 
but like I, I had an idea in mind of like, well, I said to you was, oh my God, we should really get somebody from outside the bubble. Like not just outside the, you know, the, the gender bubble, but also maybe outside the like everybody who's like a friend of somebody at Relay. And like, you know, and, but then I thought about it. And after like 10 minutes, I was like, what am I talking about? It'd be so funny to have Marco and Casey on. And I, I, <laughs> I don't know you keep bringing up this story because it does not put either one of us in a good light. <laughs> If, I, if what, I wanted to be on a good light, I would in a good light I wouldn't be doing that. I know, podcasts. I know, it's true. But anyway, no, I'd be I, on this, Twitter. This is a this is a true thing that happened, and I enjoyed the episode and I'm glad we had them on. But also Did you enjoy I still it? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, but also I still would like to go outside our bubble. We are just very bad at it. <laughs> we're yeah, I just we're also, trying. But like and there's we're a failed. there's a funny like I this is not I don't mean this as an excuse, and it certainly will not stand as an explanation. But if you see me doing stuff and you think that there's not enough diversity, uh, totally understandable and totally true, but it's kind of just a knock-on effect of me not being close to that many people, I think. Like, I don't, I don't have a, you know, a super strong feeling one way or another. I don't have quotas in, in how, I, how I choose to associate myself with, myself with people, but um, I just don't, I don't, I'm just not in touch with that many people closely. And, and yeah, and the ones you are, and same same exact thing with me. The ones I am are very much like me, and that is why mm-hmm. it's a difficult problem. That's why I mean, it's not it's not supposed to be easy, and it's not. And so you know, we'll keep trying. But this is what we did this yeah. year. <laughs> but um, but that brings us. So anyway, we appreciate the money. We I could use the money. I won't speak for John. I could use the money. Um, my family, you know, play with their toys. Like if, if you want to support us, you can go to relay.fm/rd. And if you really want the fully qualified URI, as John says, you go to relay.fm slash rd slash join, and uh, you'll get all the benefits there on too. That's right. Um, and so for this week, this is this is one of the episodes with extra stuff that's going to be the end. And uh, for the episode with the ATP guys, <laughs> I had I made a document for them. And I said, hey, everybody, <laughs> my idea is we all come to this document and you two, our two guests, put something in the document that's like a feelings topic that you want to talk about because we always refer to Rec Diffs as my feelings podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Casey List's feelings podcast is analog, and Marco's feelings podcast is under maybe the radar. ATP, maybe under the radar. It's hard to tell. <laughs> um, Shedding a tear, of, yeah. Pouring one out for Feed Wrangler or top top four. I don't know. Top this four. One his wife. There's a lot of feelings on that show. Anyway, I put a in a toasters. feelings topic that we can talk about on Rectifs. And as I said on the member special that you will ha- hear in the future or may have already heard by the time listening to this. Uh, we, if we bring the other two members of ATP on Rectifs, uh, it could go one of two ways. It could turn Rectifs into a technology podcast, or it could turn, uh, you know, the ATP Rectifs combination into a feelings podcast. And I think we leaned more in the direction of technology podcast. Yes. Um, but there were, and, and you know, the, my idea with the document was like, hey, put some topics here. Well, and you assume naturally that Marco would go in and probably write what six thousand words, go and really fill it all out. You thought maybe yeah, no, he never he never puts anything in the, in the ATP <laughs> document, so I kind of knew that he wouldn't put anything in this one, and he didn't. Casey, being the dutiful person that he is, filled out a bunch of stuff that he put in there. He followed the assignment. He wrote in a bunch of topics that were feelings things, and we didn't F- get to marks. a single one of them. All I said was, "Do you guys have a beef with us? Do you have a yeah. grievance to air?" I, I think know, that's all that I was, said. That was that was on topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, although they didn't bite down on that one too much either. They were trying to be nice, which is weird. Mm-hmm. Um, it's weird. Yeah, but anyway, so we had these leftover topics, and as we all know in the show, it's in the doc. We could get to it someday, and someday is today. No, my, my, my people eat every part of the podcast. Yeah, so we're going to take Casey's questions that we didn't get to in the member special, 
and try to address them here. And so we're going to do a bunch of maybe the more substantial ones up front. And then in the after show, we will do the more fun slash frivolous ones or who knows. We're just going to do a bunch of stuff at some point. It will be a dividing line. Casey asked a bunch of really thoughtful questions that... That we totally ignored. Totally ignored, but, I mean, the kinds of, like, good questions in the sense of, like, they're the, the good questions about stuff that matters to me and you, um, but also that, like, might be interesting to other people that, that aren't Casey. So I consider that a particularly good question. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And we'll get to that, but first you're going to bug me about my sleep, right? Yeah, that'd be quickie, I think. There's a mini. Mm-hmm. Okay. This has been in the many topics for a while, Ugh. and it's just a check-in. We have a lot of check-ins on this show. Sometimes we gotta we check- get, well, you got to check back in. The thing is, just because you talked about it doesn't mean it goes That's away. Right. I mean, think about my toe. How many times have we checked in with my toes? Where's away? Yeah, we're always checking in with the toes. How, what's going on with the toes? How are your toes doing, John? Are your toes thinking? good? Is that this for is not a week? toe check-in. Don't okay. try to change right. the subject. But I'm just I, I, me- I don't want to talk about it, but I also feel like, as an anxious person, I sometimes need a quickening. Like mm-hmm. I, I need to like just get <laughs> let's like like get to it. But your toes are okay mostly. What about the freezer? How's the freezer? Mm-hmm. Okay, um, you're gonna check in. What is your question? Uh, your query. You there? Did you have a question yes, for me? This is sleep check in with Merlin. And here's the thing that I'm wondering. You talk a lot about sleep on uh, on Roderick on the line. <laughs> you and John Roderick talk about your sleep. I'm insufferable. You talk about your energy Ooh, yes. uh, sometimes, uh-huh. uh, right? One of the topics that was swirling around several months ago was the topic of, well, you you tell me the exact, it was like uh, black market CPAPs we were looking oh, into. Oh, yeah, right. Because I, snow, I snore, and I mean, we're, so we're kind of working out the culpability in this. I, it is my culpability that I, I snore. And apparently I snore enough that it like it wakes up my lady friend. Now, the, 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 the somewhat culpable part is that my wife is not a great sleeper to begin with. So the problem is, even if I just do like a kind of thing, that wakes her up. She's not happy, understandably. And then she can't get back to sleep. Yeah. And, you know, and that's, I, but, but here, here's the part that's difficult for me. And I, I, I hate to sound as defensive as I am, except that I feel terrible about this. I love our bed. I love being in our bed. Our bed is one of my favorite things. And I love to sleep and I, and I, I love it. Now, here's the problem if I'm snoring, what am I? If I'm snoring, I'm asleep. And if I'm asleep, I don't know that I'm snoring. Mm-hmm. So all I know is the rush of like, oh, waking me up because I'm snoring. And then I go, was I snoring? She goes, yeah, she's been snoring since 11, you know, or whatever. But that's, that's, that's part of this. This, this. Yeah. The CPAP idea, I've known for a while that I, that I snore. And I, I wish there was a way to shortcut this. I wish to, to, to use a not very pretty phrase. I wish I could just throw money at this. Like, I don't know what it would cost, but I wish I could just go to Walgreens and maybe not a Walgreens CPAP, you know, Walgreens signature brand CPAP may not Mm -hmm. be my solution. Nice bullseye. But I, I wish that I could make this problem just go away, but there's an order of operations that I'm dealing with. Again, see also anxiety. I've got to get some blood tests, my shrink says. I, I've got to get evaluated. i got to talk to a doctor. My wife wonders if I have gout. She says to me the other <laughs> night out of nowhere, at John Mulaney, you think you might have gout? Do you have scurvy? You think you might have dropsy or the grip? <laughs> consumption, that's what you got. A consumption, that's a good one. Yeah, is that, that's TB, right? Yeah. Yeah, I remember that from Camille. I, um, uh, and so... But, you know, on the face of it, somebody who snores 
is not sleeping optimally. I don't, I, I don't appear at this point. I'm, un, I'm undiagnosed except by my lady friend and me. I, I'm really in no position to diagnose because I'm asleep while it's happening. But I don't know if I have apnea in the usual sense. I don't do that. Th- I don't think I do that thing where I stop breathing and then go, you know, like the, that's that's bad. You don't want that. But it means I'm not sleeping well. People with apnea obviously not sleeping. You get sleep, you need to breathe. And um, anyway, so we're, we're checking in on. Um, well, so I mean, you talked about with, with Roderick because they got similar problems, and it was the same thing. I was like, it such, seems like such a pain to go through our stupid healthcare system to try to see if you even need a CPAP, and wouldn't it mean if you could just get one? But then it's like, oh, but if you get the black market ones, you get a brain amoeba and die, or they kill you in your sleep if it's not fitted you think right. Those nasal gavage things from uh, Walgreens, the Walgreens nice gavage. You think that's bad with the microbes and the molecules? Woof. Can you imagine getting a, sucking on another man's apnea machine? Right. And and you were talking about mostly interrogating him about it, but you're like, but I also have this problem. And so what I wanted to check in with, you basically answered it as like, so has there been any progress on that front? You think maybe a CPAP would help you, but who knows? Maybe not really, but it seems like such a hassle to find out if that's the case. And well, you wish I mean, you could no, just try is, one. It's a good, it's a good, the way you're putting it is smart. Um, but like, here, here's one way to look at it. Like, I don't know a ton about sleep disorders, but at least in my anecdotal experience via other people, when you have sleep disorders, I mean, I've tried stuff like, you know, like a mouth guard thing you put in, it makes your mm-hmm. bottom jaw jut out and it's extremely uncomfortable. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is this, like it's, I mean, when you're trying to solve a problem, and admittedly, this could be an XY problem. I don't know. But when you're trying to solve a problem, if there's like an inevitable, okay, like you and your toe. You, oh, God. Oh, why am I saying this? Like you, like there's a certain like way we can do this. And then the doctor says, okay, do you want to keep the toenail? Do you want to get rid of the toenail? Do you what you want to do? Like I, I want to get to whatever the likely solution is going to be. If it works, we're done experimenting. And if it doesn't work, we'll try something else. But it's the, the problem here is it seems mental to me to dither around with all these half measures if what I really need is the is a uh, CPAP, mm-hmm. which I'm fine. Like, I don't have any dignity. I don't care. I'll look like some some like some like weird, slightly moist elephant probably. But you'd, prob- you'd probably enjoy it. I might enjoy it. Well, I mean, I'm open right? to new things. I already sleep weird. I have weird sleep positions. I have to pull my nose open so I can breathe. I like do all this weird stuff with the way that I sleep. You got your weighted sleep blanket. Um, we're on a regular blanket right now, but sometimes I'll do a weighted blanket. It can, sometimes it annoys me, but mm-hmm. when I end up going out to the couch because I'm keeping my dear wife awake all night, sometimes I'll, I'll do a little bit of a weighted blanket, but the check-in, I need to pursue this. I feel dumb that I'm an, a theoretically grown ass man who ha- just hasn't taken care of this, but yeah, I've heard that you have really good healthcare. Our healthcare is so good. I could get my gout taken care of. Mm-hmm. I can I can get an inoculation for my grip. It's a one-stop shop. You just finally, you know, you go to the doctor every 10 years whether you need it or not. John, you have no idea how much that's my fantasy. Here's the critical things I want in a doctor. That I, what I want is a doctor who who's not going to give me advice, doesn't give me suggestions. They 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 drain my dropsy. They they give me a big novelty-sized Gilligan's Island style shot of whatever I need. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They I just I slap don't a CPAP want, on your face. Slap me with a CPAP. Hit me with that rhythm stick. What I don't, what I don't want is, is a lot of like noises and observations and like playing a little game. It's like, 
I just, ugh, can't we just shortcut this straight to? Yeah, doctors love it when you tell them you know already know what you need. If they have a better solution, I'd I'd like to hear it. But I I am not going to say what I think about the medical profession here. But if I were going to say that, I would say I think it's 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 a bunch of very nice professionals who do their best. Never mind. Doctors are the worst. Nice they're the nice worst. Safe. They're so they're so like they're so given the number of actual answers they have about stuff while they pretend to be scientists, there's actually very little there's all kinds of cultural baggage to the way I mean, just go talk to Venus Williams about how it works to be with a be at a doctor. There's all kinds of cultural baggage. There's stuff you gotta deal with. You have to advocate for yourself. They got their own whole thing going on. And because they're a doctor, might as well be a cop. It's somebody that you're supposed to have all this, like, oh, so much gratitude and respect for. And, oh, thank you for deigning to see me. Like, fix me. Give me the Gilligan's Island shot. Let me get out of here. And don't give me a, don't give me a, a, a leave behind. Like, don't give me a PDF to read. Just fix me. What's so hard, your medicine man? Go fix me. It used to be a pamphlet. Now it's a PDF. Ah, times change, man. It's really true. The science, you know, really evolves. But I, I think I'll do that. I, well, let's put this another way in, in real world terms, because I'm sure it's fascinating to our listeners. Um, it, I don't think there's going to be an easy way out of this with mouth guards and orthopedic apparatuses. Like, um, I, I snore. I need to find a way to stop snoring. I think I have a very soft glottis. Mm-hmm. Not, not like, you know, gentle and smooth, but maybe a little bit flabby, like a wizard sleeve, you know? Mm-hmm. I think maybe I, <laughs> I think I got to see now. Uh, uh, sometimes when I eat rice, it, it comes up my nose. Mm-hmm. So I do mm-hmm. wonder if I have some kind of a cranial fissure. I could go to a doctor and try to explain, hey, stop diagnosing yourself, WebMD. Mm-hmm. Stop uh, aspirating rice. Yeah, just come in here and let me, hmm, oh, did you notice that I'm wearing a lab coat? Oh, oh, thanks, Elizabeth Holmes. Real handy. When you go from place to place, writing stuff on your little prescription pad. Give me a break, doctors. Oh, you sound like an ideal patient. I'm sure doctors are lining up right now to help you. I'm a fantastic patient because I want everyone to like me. Mm-hmm. And I'm scared of everyone. You just badmouth them later on your podcast. Oh, pff, what are you going to do? Not treat me respectfully? Oh, don't throw me in the briar patch. Mm-hmm. You guys are so amazing. Oh my gosh, thank you. Uh, thread. Anyway, um, but I'm work, I'm working on that, and it is a struggle. The reason that I, I, in some ways, that I abstracted that into this energy project uh, as explored in unnecessary depth on Due by Friday is, and you know, really credit to you for for this kind of thinking that I'm probably still doing poorly in your opinion. But I mean, is it a sleep problem? Well, it's kind of a sleep problem, but what, like what happens on the other ends of that sleep? There's the before you go to bed. There's the when you wake up. There's the what you do. Like, are you getting sunshine? Are you getting water? Are you doing all of the things? It's not as simple as I want to go sleep better because that sleeping better, it strikes me. And I'm not, I, this is not even WebMD. This is just straight off my ass. Is like, well, I think that sleeping will be a, res, better sleep will be a result, not a cause. And then the question becomes, like what has to be put in motion to get to that better sleep? Because there'll be improvements all around, you know? Mm-hmm. I imagine anyway. I shouldn't say I'm not a doctor. And we'll check in on this again in a year or two. Okay, okay. And I, I hope I'll have made satisfactory progress. Like the, because the, like right now, I just, I, dr- I really like my shrink, but I really dread, I really, I, I dread the upcoming monthly visit with him 
just because there's so much stuff on my to-do list that's been there since and so well well uh, since a while that I haven't done and then I say I'll take care of it and I don't because mm-hmm. that's how I am he he's a doctor but I think he's a libertarian yeah well there are different kinds of doctors this episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Burrow. You can learn more about Burrow right now by visiting burrow.com slash rd. That's B-U-R-R-O-W dot com slash rd. Now, chances are that you have a list of home improvement projects, what the guys on John's more popular program call a honey-do list, right? Stuff you've been meaning to get around to and, hey, come on, spring. It's a great time to get started. You winnow down your honeydews. Hmm, I don't like the sound of that. If you want to transform the look and the feel of your home, you should consider getting new couches or seating from Burrow. Burrow is a new kind of furniture company that makes everything with comfort and style in mind. From their modular sofas and sectionals that make moving and assembly painless to their clever wall shelves that make mounting a breeze, Burrow is designed to make life easier. Burrow is proud to use premium, durable materials, so you can enjoy stain and scratch resistant fabric and solid hardwood frames. Burrow knows people care about the materials in their homes and how important it is to make sure those materials stand up to everyday life. Everyday life can be very trying on, 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 uh, on uh, you know, fabrics and surfaces and frames. So they're going to help you with that. Now, if you've bought furniture from one of the big companies before, uh, you might know a lot of that process is outsourced. Gross. But Burrow designs everything in-house, which means the entire team is in tune with what people like you actually need. And you don't have to pay for shipping. How crazy is that? Every order, no matter how small or large, is delivered directly to your door for free. You can probably tell them to put it somewhere besides your door, but that's really not my concern. They're going to bring it to you. It's not going to cost anything. And what you may not know, if you've been sitting on that same old nasty couch for years, is that that can save you over $100 when it comes to a large item like a couch, just a very large item. But they put it in boxes. It's nice. You can carry it like a person. If you have any questions, their world-class service and support team are there to help with any queries you have, from choosing a color to expanding your couch down the road. Burrow wants you to love the sofa you're on as much as you love listening to this show, and I know you love it. So show them that you're listening to Reconcilable Differences by shopping at burrow.com slash rd. That's rd. Hmm. And get $75 off your first order. B-U-R-R-O-W dot com slash rd for $75 off. Our thanks to Burrow for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. How's your, how's your sleep? You know, we, we have a, we don't have time for a, a, an extensive check-in, but we have not had a check-in much on how things are going. Like, okay, here's a quick question. Apropos sleep. Uh, since your independence project, employment-wise, is sleep one thing that's been affected? But which I guess I'm really saying, now that your schedule, your required schedule in one part of your life has changed, have you seen an impact in how you spend your days and nights. I don't actually change because the school year is still going on. So mm-hmm. my alarm is still set for the same time just because, you know, that's when we wake up to get everything going for the kids and everything to go to school. Once they're not in school anymore, uh, I, I think I will have the freedom to change the time 
that I wake up and get out of bed. But so far that hasn't happened. So no big change right now. Well, th- and that's why I say what I, I started to say about the, uh, okay, so is this a sleep problem? Well, it's really an energy problem. It's an energy, you know, getting the medications right and like doing the physical things. Like now I've got a bike and I'm riding a bike and I, I hope that that has an impact, you know? And I mean, I'm not, again, I'm not meditating to get Satori. I'm just, you know, we meditate because that's who we are. Or we brush our teeth because that's who we are. Not because like you want to like win an award for it. But, and that's why I abstracted sleep up to the energy project. But then I also realized, I think you listened to the Do By Friday program, that it also relates to what you call vacations. Like, how do I get better at looking at regulation, regulating energy and harnessing energy? And then how do I, for example, not just sleep better, but like, how do I just, how do I not feel like ragged out, a little bit burnt out a lot of the time? by capturing these little pockets of what you could call free time or off time or, you know, <laughs> non-surge pricing time. Mm-hmm. That's why, that's to me what the, the energy project has, the uh, goals of the energy project include sleeping better and not driving my dear wife insane, but also of, well, here's the thing, and this relates to the bigger, bigger, bigger project, which is, which is the chicken project. The chicken project, which is how we feel like we have to apologize for asking for what we want in life or for having needs that, that fall outside the worst possible situation you can possibly imagine. That's the current state of the chicken project? That's not how I would have summarized it. Chicken project started as, I don't want to get canceled on Twitter, I think. Well, how would you describe it? Yeah, the chicken project started as, as you uh, imagining what people are going to yell at you about for the thing you haven't said yet and then preemptively defending against it before you say the thing you want to say. Yes, the the way I started phrasing it was that it's that ridiculous dependent clause that we bolt on to the beginning of any any utterance that we're about to have that ineffectively, preemptively protects us, defends us, against uh, allegations of whether that's privilege or tone, tone, we don't say deafness, uh, tone heart of deafness, Um, Mm -hmm. all of those kinds of things. And, and the, the, I, I can cover myself with glory about this, but I do, what I say is something I believe, which is it doesn't help when you, you know, when you, God, and what was that wonderful new word that I learned that new phrase? Relative privation. Relative privation. I'm so, did you know that? Had you heard that phrase before? I had. Oh, do you think we're getting it mostly right? We are, or you are, yeah. I do that. Relative Mm -hmm. privation is, and it's considered a logical fallacy, and relative, and again, not trying to cover myself in glory, listen to me, chicken project, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But the, it's the thing of like, if you can imagine something that could be worse, if you can, like, like, let's say you are going to go like gang up on somebody on Twitter, or you're yelling at your friend, for like having to like how costly it is to to take a first class flight or something, and you're like, oh, it must be nice, you know. If I can imagine anything worse than what you're complaining about, it makes your complaint invalid. And if I can make can think of anything the inverse or converse of that is, if I can think of anything better than the thing you think is so great, that also invalidates you to the point where eventually there's just nothing that you're you feel like you're allowed to talk about the Seinfeld episode about the second one there big timing remember that one 
He big time me. I remember that Seinfeld episode. I always think everything's a Seinfeld. Who big time him? Do you remember? Uh, George was talking to someone, and he was, you know, talking about something that he was excited about, basically bragging. Then he got big timed because the person he told said, "Well, you did X. Well, I did Y. That's even better." Oh, uh, I used to call that plateauing. I don't. I don't have a name for that, but the name I coined for that for myself in college was plateauing, and as as well um, documented my friend Chris Coldren, who taught me that phrase. Wow, that's a lot of money. Like when somebody keeps bragging to you about mm. money and eventually you just start saying to them, wow, that's a lot of money. Wow, that looks like a really nice car. Like, what do you want me to say? You're just carrying on about this. But but the the, the Omnibus project here, the Weltanschauung of all of this comes down to like, if you, know, if you know or think you know what it is that you need to be happy or whole or closer to a person inhabiting the life that you would like to have, like, you can't defend yourself from anybody thinking that, oh, gosh, must be nice to sleep. Like, there's going to be people, people, it doesn't help, and it's, but that's the problem. Don't you think we all, the chicken, vis-a-vis -vis the chicken problem, don't you think we all kind of do that a little bit? Like, we have, don't we feel like we have to? What, do the chicken problem thing? To do the thing of, like, I'm going to preemptively say things about myself. Oh, yeah, no, I do it all the time. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't help, but uh, well, I'm I I think in some cases it can help a little bit, and I'm not totally against it. Um, and that's why I, I mean, like like I said to Roderick yesterday on our very special D and D episode, you know, when you for somebody like me, and I think like John, the context that I provide, the like sometimes reams or pages paragraphs of context that I want to provide, all are so much more important than the actual thing that I'm saying. Like I'm surrounding that context around. Like the context is, is everything. And you can't make people see context if they can't see it or choose not to see it. And that was really smart what I just said because that really explains the chicken problem. You can't make people see context they don't want to see. That's the that's the phrase that is in vogue uh, related to this problem on Twitter. Are you, you familiar with uh, this one? Context collapse? Um, I think so. I can't specifically say I saw that. But yeah, the, the, the idea of Twitter, the app, is that like it is a perfect content, context collapse machine and that the quote tweet in particular, it's basically like inventing agriculture. It's the worst thing we could have done. It's to make it so easy to take something out of context. You know? And yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's anyway. So fighting through the chicken problem. What I'm trying to say is that, like, my goodness, shouldn't shouldn't we all feel some amount of latitude to improve whatever it is we're doing, to improve how we feel, to improve our ability? Even if you want to improve your ability to be the nicest and most generous and most <clears throat> magnanimous person in the world, you can't do that if you're a piece of crap who is falling asleep all the time, <laughs> and. You know, in my case, like I ask no sympathy for the fact that, you know, podcasting is not, it's not difficult. It's not coal mining, but it does take certain reserves that need to be refilled. And I'm trying to get to where I feel less guilty for saying like, I, whether you think I need a break or not, uh, it's, it's like, yeah, I'm a, what is, what is it? The, that uh, what's the guy say in uh, driving Miss Daisy? Um, I'm a grown man. I know when I need to make water. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I'm a grown man. I know when I need to make water and I'm trying to get better about learning when it would be beneficial for me to create, I don't know if it's an island or the opposite of an island, 
title, but like trying to create these these ways to have like I, sometimes I refer to this as runway downtime, refilling the coffers, like whatever it is. Like I, it's going to be difficult for me to be good at any aspect of what I do, let alone better at what I do. And there's stakes, you know, there's family and stuff like that. And I don't want to suck at what I do be, and who I am because of what I'm worried people will think about me. You're a grown man, you know when you need to make water. And I know when you need to make water too. And the answer to that question is increasingly frequently. Do you do, you do that a lot? I mean, everybody how much you, How much are you up in a given night, if you could say? Zero times, but I'm a youngster. I'm a young man. You still got those nice tight gaskets. Good for you, man. I'm all all good. Uh, Although I do have to go as soon as I get up in the morning, which is not a thing I didn't used to have. So that's where I'm at. But yeah, increasingly frequently. Yeah. Yeah. I I really noticed my eyes going. But again, you know, what do they say? You know, I'm on the other side of the turf. I can't complain. Yeah. Um, I just want want to read this. I'll I'll put the link in the show notes, but it's a good for, you know, for, Mm -hmm. for once a good summary of context collapse from the Wikipedia page. The flattening of multiple audiences into a single context, term arising out of study of human interaction on the internet, especially with social media. Context collapse generally occurs when a surfeit of different audiences occupy the same space and a piece oh, of information man. intended for one audience finds its way to another, oh, with that new great. audience's reaction being uncharitable and highly negative for failing to understand the original context. That's really good. And, and I think it, I don't have a name for this for myself, but I don't know. Like, <laughs> Pretty much, like, like, like I, I think I might have mentioned here somewhere, I've been watching Mindhunter again. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe I just get ideas from watching TV, but <laughs> hopefully not too many ideas from Mindhunter. But I think, um, I don't know. I, I, I think when we, when we, let me put it this way. Let me summarize it. We'll move on to the next thing. I think when we see a solution that feels obvious, clear, doable, whatever you want to call it, like we, we see solutions in life like one of the parts that gets left out is that if you like audience, which I think can mean lots of different things. Okay, so like if you make the best, if you're a chef and you make the empirically best award-winning, James Beard award-winning dish, but then you give it to a bunch of eight-year-olds at a birthday party and they don't like it, should you be surprised that they didn't like it? Well, did you ask? Because they don't care about no James Beard. They want stuff and every single one of those kids is different i guess what i'm trying to say is when we say audience audience can mean if we abstract that again like take that a little further like nothing's a, a great solution if it doesn't answer the the problem or the you know the difficulty of somebody well that's the difficulty of like did i like that cake or the difficulty of are you going to take care of your snoring like you in order to be successful in life you need the ability to understand again, air quotes around audience, understand who and or what your audience is. And then a certain amount of a large amount of courage to stay focused on making, doing, you know, us air, doing the kinds of things that would please that audience. And if the audience changes, like your kids, for example, they grow up, they change, they want different things. What do you do? This will come up in our discussion. What do you do? You yell. I mean, I ended up writing like a page and a half of wisdom document type stuff that I can't use tonight. But step zero of, of the things that I wrote down, we'll get to this in a sec, but the past is over. The past being over is not negotiable. You cannot, there's no way back machine. There's, you can choose to try and recreate conditions from a previous time. And sometimes that can be very valuable and things like rituals can be so nice. But part of what makes a ritual so nice is you're not, in my case, I'm not trying to replicate 
the first time we ever did this, that's a fool's errand. Instead, you know, one of the reasons I one of the reasons I was so bummed by COVID is we we lost out on so many opportunities to revisit stuff with my kid that we've always done and to get to appreciate. It makes me so sad to think about it, so emotional to think about all the times we're like, whatever, didn't get to go to the Brazilian restaurant that we like to go to twice a year. You know, more me, make the sign green. Or like just going to the library together. All the stuff where like you do this thing, whether it's Christmas morning or Brazilian meat, there's something so exciting and so bracing about revisiting something that you've done before with someone who's now a different person than before. And it's different. And maybe the kid hates it. And maybe they complain and they just want to look at their phone in a way that drives you crazy. But step zero, man, you cannot, the past is over that's not negotiable. You're not going to change that. And like, all you can really choose to do is kind of try and ride the wave with a little bit more class. And when your audience changes, that's good to be aware of. I hope people are always going to be around. And there's a reason people like bits on podcasts because it feels nice. It feels fun. It feels familiar. When, when they say the thing about David Sims being raised in London, it always makes me laugh, even though it's technically a retired bit. You know what I mean? I, I'm sorry. I'm all over the map here, but I'm I've had kind of a strangely emotional day, so I'm, I'm probably being a little disclosing. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Squarespace. You can learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com slash diff. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and for growing your business online. You can stand out with a beautiful website. You can engage with your audience and you can sell anything, your products, your services, even the content that you create. They got you covered. That, that, they, they cover you because they're Squarespace. It's what they do. Look it up. With Squarespace, you can stand out in any inbox with Squarespace email campaigns. Why not encourage your visitors to sign up uh, as email subscribers? Start them on the journey to becoming loyal customers. Just start with an email template and customize it by applying your brand ingredients like site colors and logo. Plus, built-in analytics measure the impact of every cent. You, you gotta, you gotta check the impact on your cents for sure. Uh, you can, uh, you, well, you can have a best-in-class website. You get, they give you a template. You can customize it to your needs. It's, it's that easy. It's as easy as browsing the category of your business. You find a perfect starting place, and, and then you customize it. Just a few clicks. Click, click, click. Look at me. I got a website. I'm here to tell you, it didn't used to be that way. You can also uh, um, get get, uh, get into some SEO, search engine optimization, a suite of integrated features and useful guides that help maximize prominence amongst search results. And, and boy, that can be tough. That can be tough. Uh, they got you covered. That's the thing you need to take away from this. You know, I've been covered by Squarespace for a very long time. And I continue to be covered by them. I'm, I'm going to let go of this analogy at this point. Um, but but uh, I, I use uh, Squarespace all the time. I I I, uh, I use it as a as a consumer. I, I look at websites that are on the Squarespace. But uh, it's been very as they as they say impactful to me because it's where uh, I host the Roderick Online podcast, and it's also where my personal sites are. And if I'm being honest, those sites need an update. But that's not on Squarespace. They've got me covered. Oh, here I go again with the covering. Just go get Squarespace. Quit screwing around. I say this hopefully not more than once a month. But look, you know, you don't want to be in the webmaster business unless that is your job. Like, as a person with a business, you shouldn't be worrying about websites. You got stuff to do. But even if you are a web person, ain't this ironical that it would be so nice? It would be a mitzvah, as John Syracuse says, if you could set up a pal, a family member, a school, a church, 
some kind of community organization, anybody who needs help getting on the global internet, you can do that. You get them set up with Squarespace and then they run with it. I think that if it were me, if, if I were, if I were uh, Ms. Squarespace, I would be playing this up more personally. I'm not here to give them notes though. I'm here to encourage you to go to squarespace.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. And that's going to get you a free trial with no credit card required. And then when you're ready to launch, use our extremely special offer code diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. That's going to save you 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain, which is you know a lot of percent. And it's really good. It's Squarespace. That's it. So you go there and, and, and sign up. It's 10% off. It's so good. And you know, it also shows your support for John, who's currently unemployed. He could really, really use the help. I mean, there's, he's, got a, he's got a rotten toe and a freezer that doesn't work. And he doesn't like to make a big deal out of it. But I think he could, he could really use, you know, he's a little help. Help the guy out. Squarespace.com slash diffs. Get that free trial. 10% off with our offer code diffs. So grateful of them. They've been so good to me. They've been so good to so many. And they're going to be so good to you. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Well, that's a good uh, transition into sure our first Casey question. Casey's left, Corner. Left over from the member special. Uh, here it is, as Casey wrote it. Um, and this is this is written, I guess, to an audience, to an audience who is all of us. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, first to us. John well, remember, and Merlin. Remember what makes them remember what makes some good questions, though, and this is in in my opening uh, statement that I'm not going to read you is that as I respond to these, I'm very grateful that Casey wrote these wonderful general questions that I think are fun to talk about. But I mean, I'm not going to be answering Casey per se, except where noted. Mm That's all I wanted to say about that. But he has some really good questions that, you know, hit you in the heart feels. So here we go. John and Merlin are getting perilously close to sending their first kid off to quasi-independence. How are you grappling with that? What are you scared of? What are you looking forward to? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then this is the related sub question. I think we can answer this whole big thing as one big blob because there's a lot of stuff even in just that first part. But the second one is, how do I not squander? This is Casey asking because he's got young children. How do I not squander when my kids are little? What am I missing out on? For example, for example, monthly room photos. Boy, there's a mm-hmm. lot done back in the second one. But anyway, the first one, uh, kids going off, becoming independent. How are we grappling with that? This, that's the thing I do where I take a panorama. I take a panorama photo of my kid's room every time it occurs to me. and. I wish I'd done it a hundred times more. Yeah, but we're gonna we're gonna do the first one first, which is uh, how are we grappling with our kids? I mean, my kid is one of my kids is literally going off to college uh, next right. fall. Yours is not right. quite at that point, but still, the but idea the independence of, is reaching yes. a, a, a you know um, critical sort of escape velocity. Mm-hmm. I think I think the the you could read this and say, I, I might be parsing here. Tell me if I'm getting this wrong, but I think what he's saying here is, oh my god. If it's not that long, your kids are so much older than mine, it's not going to be that long before your kids leave the house, whether that's for college or, you know, mm-hmm. a work gang or whatever. Um, but also, how do, how do you, fair to say, how do you deal with increasing independence and, to me, by extension, less need for you, right? Isn't that kind of part yeah, of it? It's not just empty what, what are you scared of and what are you looking forward to? Like there's the upside of it, like something you're excited about, uh, a result of independence. And then the much easier to, for us to talk about side, which is what are you scared of? Yeah. What do you say? Um, I mean, I don't know if you remember this. You'll probably dig it out of your brain bouncing around in there somewhere. Um, but I think uh, the the first time we met in person, do you remember when we the first time we met in person? Just the two of us. We had a date. I feel that? like... 
Oh, when we met at the park? No. I think that I thought that we hung out at a Apple related event. And that's like one, one of the first times I remember the joke about Sprite. I thought we met in a bar, but remind me. Oh, no. Oh, no. Was it, was it, was it Constant Contact? Was it, um, Boston or uh, oh, that boy, talk I did? Boy, your, your memory of this is very bad. Must not have been a memorable moment for Which you. Which one are you? But uh, but I'll bring it, see if this rings a bell. It'll so, come back to me. Yes. Be nice. So we had a dinner date in San Francisco. I was there for WWDC. I think it was my first WWDC. This is where my memory starts getting faded. Maybe we had a dinner date at an Italian restaurant, just the two of us. Do you remember that? What was the restaurant? Oh, I don't remember. Was it Buca di Beppo? Beppo di Buca? No, it was not. Mm. Um, it was an Italian place that was close to Moscone. Mm. It was like... Uh, it was just you and me. Yeah, it was just the two of us. You sure that was me? Yeah, absolutely sure. Um, and maybe we had we had met in person briefly before that, but this was just the first time we were just having okay. the two of us there having a conversation. And at one point, this is this is back, I think this is pretty much back I'm when you were Merlin my Man. Calend- I'm going to search my calendar and see if I can find it. Back when you were Merlin Man. I'll search my calendar. I'll find it too. Um, I probably have like a map of the place we went to because I think I was super nervous about traveling to San Francisco back then because sure. I'd never gone anywhere. Anyway, you pulled out at one point, we were discussing stuff, and I, we inevitably ended up discussing children. You pulled out a piece of paper and a pad, because, again, back when you were Merlin Man, it might not mm. have been a hipster PDA, but it might as well have been, right? And you started drawing diagram that you were trying to use this diagram to express. Uh, oh, is this the concentric circles? Yes. Yeah, oh, I, I know you'd remember bit. it eventually once we got into the Merlin oh, I, Man I have, stuff. I have a specific, well, you know how I am with remembering. Um, I, I remember when this first really occurred to me, but yeah, go ahead. Explain it. And so you took, you literally drew, uh, you know, like. Really, a dot so if in you the think middle. of it as a start in the middle and then make a spiral with fairly tight concentric-ish lines right and the whole idea was that the you and the kid were in the middle of the circle and the kid would travel outward to one of the rings but then come back to you and then later travel outward maybe two rings but then come back to you and then travel outward maybe three rings and then come back to you and these concentric circles of going out and back in going farther away each time was how you from, were sort from of the, from the first nipple to the last day of college yeah, like to, that's to, the, yeah. that's an exercise that for, will be from, happening from your forever. first cigarette to your last dying day right mm-hmm. to, anyway <laughs> did you just, do a, did you just like, did a sondheim lyric uh, uh, we talked about West Side Story on a previous, on the member special, maybe. I don't remember. Or maybe this week's episode. Anyway, and you were visually representing what it felt like to be a parent mm-hmm. of a then, I don't know how old your kid was back then, but much younger. Maybe like three um, or four even, yeah. How it felt like to, for kid, our kids to gain independence, but still like that they weren't going and they would just shoot off that, like like out of, out of the solar system. We'd never see them again. They always come back. But yeah. the next time they go out, they might go out a little further and then come back and so on and so forth. This is my recollection of the concentric rings theory. No, you're 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 hitting it. I and what it made me think of that, or at least in my head anyway, in my head canon. Like there was one day we were, I think the three of us had gone somewhere and we're playing, and it was one of the first times that the kid was like sort of moving. It was in a very safe area, but the kid was moving further away than usual, still in eye shot. But then I think most kids, especially at a certain age, maybe get a little panicky, let alone that the parents get a little bit panicky, but then they come back, right? But it doesn't mean they're never going to try it again, right? And, and so, but like, it's also this idea, I mean, not to spoil the ending, but like, it's that, that kid has to rehearse the concentric circles, rehearse that independence, and we have to rehearse being okay with not knowing how many rings away they are. Yeah. And, and so that's, that's related to this this question in terms of like how do it doesn't you happen grapple? in one day it doesn't happen in one day this is such a huge like matt howie breakthrough from matt 
Matt's been Matt's, was so wise in my early days of parenthood, telling me such wise things all the time. And anyway, like I, the the I think part of the part of the trick to this is though that like it doesn't all happen at once. There's not one giant leap generally that a kid takes unless they decide to like, you know, what's that phrase? Like where you where you like separate from your parents, <laughs> you get declared. Um, you know, oh, what's that called? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, unless emancipated. They, emancipated. Emancipated. Minor. Unless they're going to emancipate, like, the chances are that there will be times they need that. And, like, there's certainly times, especially in, like, my first year of college where I was, like, so embarrassed to be, like, asking my, my mom for money. Or, like, I was just so happy to be home and eating her macaroni and cheese. And I was a 21-year-old, 20-year-old guy. And that's, but that's kind of what family is. It's that rubber band that, that, that keeps you back on the, pulls you back on the road. So my best bed based on my calendar is uh friday june 10th 2011 2 p.m okay yeah i still think about that i still think about it quite a lot yeah i mean that uh circles casey has already experienced this with uh, i think at least one of his kids a little obviously modified by covid which is weird but i think the first time most parents uh experience this situation of uh the concentric circles I mean, I guess, I guess there's lots of, you, you already mentioned, like, I mean, you might experience it when you have a toddler and you go to the playground and they run away from you, right? But, like, there are a couple of big milestones. And, and the first one mm-hmm. is usually uh, first, the first kid day of going or to, something. Yeah, the kid going to a thing where you're not there, whether that's preschool or daycare. Oh, um, yes. But, but especially. Stay, overnight with a relative. Like, that's a huge right. one. But just even going somewhere. Like, we got both baby seats in the car and we're going to go have a play date. But, like, the, mom and dad are not going to be there. Right. And or kindergarten is the other big one. Like if you if you manage to not have preschool or daycare or whatever, but kindergarten at some point, mm-hmm. especially because you go to public school, it could be that they have like never spent, a, you know, a moment away from you for their entire life until now you're going to drop them off in a building with strangers and leave. And I, Casey's been through that. Uh, and that is like that's not much different than all the other times. It's just that the concentric circles are farther and farther out. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, yeah, and absolutely. I think. What you're scared of is the same stuff you're always scared of. When you dropped your kid, uh, you know, Casey can relate to this. He's done it. We you dropped your kid off at the school for the first time, uh, the kid that you have just been with all the time, and now you drop him off somewhere and leave, and you're not there, and neither is your spouse, and no one you know is there. You just dropped your kid off with strangers. Mm-hmm. And, and all you're thinking about is, is some other kid going to be mean to them? Are they just going to be sitting down in the middle of the floor and crying and screaming for their mother? And like, and in, in daycare, you get the the version of this that actually happens. Like literally, you know, because, you know, I, I work and so does my wife and we had young kids and they went to daycare because we, you know, went back to our jobs after our parental leave time was over. And some kids get dropped off in daycare and they're fine. And other kids, you drop them off and they scream like uh, like child Magneto at the beginning of the first X-Men movie. Right, they they bend the the metal gates. Yeah, but they're mine. Like, there's a reason they call it kiss. They call it kiss and cry. Right, like the the, the you at least at our school we all had this thing called kiss and cry, which is like for the first day of kindergarten. And like, so our kid had three years of preschool. Like, I just I can't even imagine being a five year old like dropped off at school like away from your doting yeah, parents for the first, for the first time. time. Yeah, oof, that must be so rough. But it's. I mean, this is a little personal, but it's such a sweet story. When, uh, you know, my kid was, um, has changed a lot in so many ways, like everybody, but like used to be very cautious and very like, mm, I'm going to hang back and much like mm-hmm. their mom. Like, I just want to see what's going to happen here. I want to suss this out before I make any moves. I'm invisible. I'm here. I'm far away. And so, you know, of course you take them to 
to preschool where every kid just seems like a monster. I just remember thinking these kids who were like six months older or two years old, they just seemed like monsters. And like, uh-huh. oh, these boys are out of control. I have the easiest kid in the entire world to make it about me. But also, like, just like you said, I don't want my kid to feel like intimidated in the way that I currently feel intimidated. But Or abandoned by their parents. <laughs> yeah, like, what did I do? Mm-hmm. But, you know, Madeline would hold her hand and walk her up to the kind of drop-off point. And, you know, they'd arrive and hold her hand, take her to the drop-off point. And one day she said, you know, <laughs> do you want to try going in on your own? <laughs> And she said, who will hold my hand? <laughs> and then, you know, and now she takes me and yell by herself. But, but you know, I can't help but, because it's how I am, but see my own role and culpability in making things into a problem that don't sort of need to be a problem, you know? And avoiding that is something I try really hard to do. Like, don't create, I have so many things I wrote down today that I'll have no time to get to. It should be its own podcast, but... Not everything is a problem, and things that are problems don't really necessarily need you to provide a solution for it. In the same way that you don't really need a rule for everything. I mean, <laughs> common sense and things like that are, are good, but like if you make a rule for everything, then you got to enforce a rule for everything. But like, you know, all those kinds of things, I look at myself and I think, like, is this really, when is this really that hard? And I'm saying this about my kid, but I think it's true for everybody. Is this something that's really a problem for my kid, or is it mostly a problem for me? Because again, see also step zero, the past is gone. Like you can't recreate those conditions. You can't make your kid like you the same way or for that matter, I guess, hate you the same way. But like I I really, I don't think I'm good at this, but I think in fairness, I do try really hard at this, which is to get the F out of the way and don't bring my BS, which includes things like anxiety, which I think you have in your way. But like, is the kid really that worried? Am I giving the kid something to fuss about? Am I creating a problem out of something that's not a problem? Because, again, from the, from the document, forgive me, it's, mo- it's, it's your main job as a parent is to keep your kid from dying. But as the kid gets older, it's also critically important that you not prevent them from living. And in the desire to keep your kid safe, read as for you to feel like you're in control of the situation, you're the one who's going to have to get comfortable with those concentric circles. Like, they'll self-regulate. They'll come running back when they need to, which I think you should not over-celebrate. See, I told you you'd be scared. <sighs> you know, it's like, it's like, it's like you just you turn your kid into, like, just this living, thro- throbbing, rattling, like, eating disorder with all these ways that we try and tell our kids what they're doing wrong all the time, and I hate it. You know what I mean, though? Like, that's, it's us. The first time that we ever let our kid, I've told you the story, but like go outside, walk outside the door, walk back up. The like de minimis amount of independence with the kids knowingly out of eyesight. The kid knows they can't see us. We can't see the kid, but it's familiar territory. Eventually that becomes you walk up front and hang out for a while. But the day that the kid actually crossed the street at the sidewalk, at the crosswalk, please, and went to the park and was not seeable, I can promise you as I sit here, it was so much harder for in particular my wife than it was for the kid. The kid was fine doing their thing. You know, have, have you ever, have you or anybody in your family ever like hidden behind the tree, a tree to like make sure that the kid is okay. And they're not doing needle drugs in the park or something like that. That's all on us. We're the ones who have to live with ambiguity, live with not knowing phones are great, but phones train us to believe that if we can't see where our kid is on a map, they're probably in a clown's van. And that the real tolerance to build 
how do we encourage that person to become independent and to, as I said, live? Well, it's not, they're going to work it out. <laughs> the main thing is like, how do we get out of the way and then not finding, find ourselves hovering in a way that suggests that there's a, something to be scared of that we've decided they're not scared of yet. And ask yourself how many times you've tried to exercise control, not you, but the listener and me. How many times in life have you tried to exercise control by telling somebody they did something they didn't know they were supposed to be scared of? Don't do that. Yeah, that, that was kind of like high parental stress situations where, I mean, for, regardless of what the kid is experiencing, the parent is going to be experiencing the stress. Maybe the kid's fine. Maybe the kid's not fine. Maybe the kid's melting down. But either way, it's a high parental stress situation. That's exactly yeah. the type of situation where all of our worst parenting instincts tend to come out. Uh, where by worst, in my case, it's usually like, I, I could see you, I mean, as much as I like and admire you, I could see you perhaps unintentionally being an I told you so guy. Is that something you fight? No, but like, I mean, so when I say worst instincts, it's like, so let's think of it this way. So, you know, it, we're both fathers here. We speak from the father perspective. Fathers, uh, unfortunately, are very closely, uh, they're right next door to uh, toxic masculinity, right? Part of the traditional, <laughs> yeah, it is a bad neighborhood. Part of the traditional father role is to you got to toughen those kids up. You got to make them right. independent. You got like you're this you're this mostly unemotional, like not not necessarily a discipline machine, but it's your job to be the rock that makes sure that the law has been laid down and is honored. Yeah, like so, the mom is not equipped to. This is the stereotypical view. The mom is not equipped to drop off the screaming kid who's screaming their name at, at daycare because they're going to melt and come back and not be able to do it. But the dad, the dads are resolve. tough, and yeah. they're gonna they're gonna say, "Listen, little Timmy, little you're trooper, going to daycare. You buck up, Ranger. <laughs> and I don't care how much you scream for your mother, you're staying here, or it's time for you to learn." How to shoot deer, and I know you want don't want to kill. How many movies have this scene? I know you don't want to kill that deer because you're a sensitive little child. All over again, yeah. But you have to become a man now, and so I, your father, are going to show you how to remorselessly kill this deer, and then cut its heart out later, and we'll eat from the heart, and that will make you a man, five year old boy, who's my son, and that makes me a good father. That's what I mean by worst instincts, right? And I'm glad you're providing that context, and I hope people do hear it. But I'll put it even, I mean, maybe as strongly or differently, but like maybe more strongly, but like, I think, I think sometimes parents in general and fathers in particular feel the need. Okay. So like I said a minute ago, a lot of times we ex try to exercise control by taking something that may be a fear to us and insisting that the kid have it and hold it dear. And like, you never let go of like, you know, like for example, like, you know, my dad died when I was young. So my mom was terrified of losing me. Didn't want me to go anywhere. I wasn't allowed to do that many fun things unless she felt, understandably, I, I'm not dragging her. I understand very much why she felt that way. She had had a hard time getting pregnant and then her husband died. And like, she did not want me to be discovered in the woods, like Mindhunter style. And I, I totally get that. But the father angle on that, I sometimes feel like we because middle-aged men in particular tend to feel so unappreciated, we're always on the lookout, if we're not careful, always on the lookout for disloyalty. And we're always on the lookout for like people who have not understood how grave our warning about something was. And then we, we like in the same way that like that whole, like, again, a, a um, history has told us that maybe you shouldn't rub your dog's nose and where they pooped. 
that that sends so many confusing messages and just makes you seem very violent to the dog. Um, you didn't actually teach it much about where to poop. You've basically just created some kind of a very odd new habit for your dog. And I think we can do that with kids too. And the, the, the historical father version is that like, you're supposed to be the one who represents tradition and you represent, you know, we do this because, you know, we, we do this, well, you know, the men who are like the elders and deacons in the church, well, the, or I don't know what they call it in yours, like the ushers or whatever. And the women are the ones that bless these hands that prepared this craft macaroni and cheese and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, I think you can be strong and you can be yourself but you, I mean, like, who's stronger than somebody who's vulnerable and then gets back to being strong? That's that's a huge deal. But when, I, for some reason, I think of that terrible movie. I always think of these terrible fathers in terrible movies. But, like, sort of like uh, the guy from Deadwood in Dope Sick. He's so terrible to Caitlin Deaver. But in particular, you think of um, the guy in that terrible movie, American Beauty, the guy who's really awful, you know, to his son when it turns out that he's repressed and it's a very problematic movie, but mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. But I do feel like you see these guys coming. You see these guys who are like, you know, the way my uncle was with my cousins, like, you're not going to have long hair. You're, I'll shave your head myself and we'll do this. And like, you must live in constant fear of the consequences of not internalizing the things I've told you are bad and scary in the world. And that whenever you feel the, and this is not directed at Casey, it's not directed at you, but it's directed at me and directed at everybody, which is whenever you feel the impulse to increase the level of of danger or risk, or you find yourself saying, you know, I guess this could even be the swat on the butt because you ran out in the road, whatever it is. Well, you know, I think a lot of times they're swatting the kid because they're freaked out and they've got a lot of adrenaline about their kid almost getting hit by a car. Will that make them more careful next time? I don't know. I I hope we eventually like really drop that whole act that even you and I kind of grew up with. At least we know, you know, kids, you, you know, your age when you were a kid who had fathers like that. And they were miserable and they would do everything they needed to do to pretend that everything was fine in front of their family but they didn't have too much, in some cases, didn't have too much mooring to like the value of those traditions or the like, I don't know, just the frailty of human experience because mostly they're just scared that they eventually learn whatever you're going to do, don't get caught by dad. And like, who, who do you blame for that situation? Well, it's dad. That's dad's fault that it's like that. And then he looks at you and says, oh, like, why, you know, my son's a fruit because he won't play football or whatever. Or I just, I really... If anything, I, I do, I'll applaud myself to say, like, if anything, I really try to go too far the other day, oh, the I other think, way. I think you did uh, outline, or we both, we both covered the, the two ends of that spectrum. One would be the the big macho, toxic, toxic masculinity uh, dad who's forcing the kid to do something because he's got to become a man or toughen up or got to, you yeah. know, or whatever. And the other one is, uh, and you would think, oh, I'm not going to do that because I I know that that's bad or my dad was like that or I saw it in movies or that's not who I want to be. So that's a one extreme. Uh, and then you say, I'm going to do the opposite of that. But the other extreme is what <laughs> we you were talking nothing, about. Is, man, and we're all out of ideas. <laughs> yeah. The other, well, not, actually, yeah, I mean, that's more of, you know, indifference or whatever. But the other extreme is what you're talking about, where you are so concerned with the safety of your child that you latch on to that. And that becomes your toxic thing. And like you said, you instill your own anxieties in your kid and you make them fearful right, because, of things. Because the world is dangerous and oppositional and people are out 
to, right. to tr- trick which, you which and take exactly your stuff. Which is exactly the opposite of saying, kid, I'm going to chuck you into the deep end. You're like, no, I'm not going to chuck you into the deep end. And in fact, if you ever see a pool, run in the other direction, but not too fast because you'll trip and fall and always, mm-hmm. buzz, you know. And those two ends of the spectrum are not good, right? And what I, the mm-hmm. reason I bring this up is not to say, oh, you should find somewhere in the middle. I bring it up because one of the ways you deal with independence and, you know, the things you're scared of, you know, whether you're scared for yourself or you're scared for your kid or whatever, um, is understanding that at every point there is some sort of leap of independence, whether it's going to daycare, going to, you know, kindergarten, getting a first job, leaving the house, whatever that thing may be, mm-hmm. that your kid is an individual person who is not the same as anyone else. And whatever you think the schedule is for what they should be able to do at whatever time in their life they are, that can inform how you behave. If you think and you, this you, kid's you in kindergarten now. You unintentionally telegraph, you might unintentionally telegraph concern, disappointment, that kind of stuff. Right, or it'll change how you act. You're like, mm-hmm. okay, well, this kid should be able to go to kindergarten now. Or no, they're in sixth grade. Why are they worried about <sighs> going to school? They've been going to school all this time. They're still worried about it. They should be able to do this. And then you become the tough father. You, you said you never would, but you're like, well, come on. It's not like kindergarten. It's sixth grade. Why is the kid concerned about this? You got to toughen this kid up. He's just got to learn that you have to do what Because right, that's say. life. And I cannot right. tolerate the idea that you're going to go into your teen years being this namby-pamby person who is not committed to my view of the world. Right. Or maybe your kid is in daycare and they think that they can walk to the park by themselves. And you're like, no, you can't walk to the park by yourselves. Demons will eat you. Right. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you about all the terrible things that are outside. And you go on your other extreme, like that, that navigating your children's independence has to be informed by your specific actual kid and right. your ability oh, to recognize yes. really what, they, what they are actually ready for and you to change your behavior based on that. And like, do you, do you need to insert that much of your personality into this person? Again, to quote myself from the document, you're, and this is, I don't know, this is all stuff that like has been really important to me. Your kids are not little versions of you. They're little versions of themselves. Yeah, and they're not little versions of any prototype child that you have in no, your head. No, and they're going to become different things. And as a little person becomes a bigger person, there's not one point where they're going to reach and go, this kid's done, ding. You know, three fifty for two hours. I now have a finished twelve year old. No, like they're going to change a lot. They're going to do stuff that doesn't make sense to you. They're going to do stuff that, or they're going to try stuff. I mean, my feeling honestly is, if when my kid tricks me, gets something by me, like it's not. I don't want to say. I wouldn't say it out loud publicly that I'm proud of my kid when they do that. But I think that they're rehearsing life in a safe environment. I think that kids can try stuff with their parents they could never in a million years get away with with their peers, their teachers, or whomever. And like, I think when your kid shows you a, in the same way that I feel like you should never, if somebody shows you a vulnerability, never say, I told you so. And never like that, they're opening up to you. And like, you know, when you, I mean, I'll just say enough to say that when you discover your kid is becoming themselves in a way that you hadn't anticipated, I think you need you need to celebrate that and you need to you need to dislodge your personal investment and your priors about how you expected them to turn out because kids can smell that a mile off. I think disapproval has a scent that every kid is pretty attuned to and like you may think you're covering it up or being real taciturn or whatever but like 
the, the, the thing that's in common of all these things, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but like what, what's in common between those two dad types and many of the other dad types is like, at what point do you pause and go, how much of myself really needs to be inserted into this situation? Like, do I really have something to add to this? Maybe Quaker style. Do I have anything to add to what this kid is trying on by giving them tips and tricks or by telling them what to worry about? Like, they'll figure it out, a lot of that. But you know what I mean, though? That, that commonality of, like, you're so used to being, God willing, two of you, sometimes one of you, sometimes a whole family of you, are trying to bring this kid up you know, with safety and security and all those kinds of good things and good character and all that kind of stuff. But like, I, I mean, do you ever, do you ever go back and really think about like how that affected you? People love to say stuff. Well, my dad hit me and I turned out fine. Well, if your dad hit you and you think you turned out fine, that's a problem in my opinion, for example. Right. So like, but when you look back, were there times that people deliberately tried to scare you into being, thinking, or seeing differently and it had redounding success that you continue to treasure to this day. I don't have a lot of that. I don't have a lot of times where somebody made a point of trying to scare me about life that it actually saved me from any trouble or attracted me to something useful. It just, I don't think that happens very often. And we like to believe in the American ethos. We like to think that's a true thing. It's some kind of Western BS macho thing where we think like, oh, I really turned my kid into a perfect kid because now they're 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 nice to the nuns because they're so scared. <sighs> I don't I don't know how much enduring appeal that has in a person's life. I'm I'm very sure that you don't have situations like that, and I don't either. But I think like that's I'm sure there's someone out there who like was scared by an older person during their upbringing and and credited it with some important you know uh, growing moment in their life. That may or may not be a, a misattribution in the, in the vein of, oh, my parents hit me and I turned out fine, which is the, the prototypical ridiculous one. But mm -hmm. like, I think for this entire independence question, like and related to that whole idea of did you experience X and did it help you with Y is your main I, I feel like the, the main the main task of being a parent with children, you know, with levels of gaining levels of independence the main skill you are employing mm -hmm. is it's like situational awareness for kids, understanding where your mm -hmm. kid is at at mm -hmm. any given stage. Cause that's has they, to inform they, the very, even in the best cases, act. what they have the ears to hear. Right. Well, well, not just what they have the ears to hear. Cause they're not looking yeah. maybe well, for like you to say, you have to all that stuff. Like, yeah. is this the time to give your kid the nudge they need to jump into the deep end? Or is this absolutely not the time? Like, are they actually ready for this? Or like, do they need comfort and aid and support? Or do they need that one extra little nudge to walk across the crosswalk to go to the park? Are they there yet? Or are they not there yet? And the thing that is very difficult with this in parenting, with so many things in parenting, is like, well, all the other kids are at stage X. Why isn't my kid? And if that is in your Everybody head, else you're not is riding a bike. About, why isn't my kid riding a bike? Right. You're not, or the reverse. Why are all these other, why does my kid think they can drive a taxi at age 10? Right. <laughs> when other kids, when other kids, you know, want to hold their mom's hand when they like, sometimes your kid is going to be more independent than you expected. But that's, that's poison. This whole thing. Your job is to figure out where your kid is at and to be, to do what you need to do to support that kid where they're at. But, but starting with, starting with them rather than trying to reverse engineer right. what useful advice you have. Right. And don't start from what you think they should be doing. Don't start from what their peers are doing. Don't start from what you think they should be doing. 
You mm-hmm. have to start from where they're at. And it, that gets more and more difficult if where they're at deviates from what you consider, quote unquote, the norm in both directions. Are they less uh, a less independent than you thought they'd be or are they more independent? And, and again, do, do you like like sorry to, to problematize this further, but like and do you have full information? Because like when my kid lets me in on something, let's just, I don't want to go too deep on stuff that's, you know, personal and family and whatever. But like I bet everybody out there who's had a kid, you will have points in your life where your kid tells you something. Let's say, okay, let's just take a really dumb example. Your kid announces they want to be a minister or whatever. And you go like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. You yeah, we're not to be a even minister. a religious family. Where the hell did that come from? Where did that come from? That's not how we are. Here's a way to think about that that has been instrumental for me, which is it's not that that just happened, that your kid announced they want to be a minister in, in our example. It's that, that was the moment that for whatever reason on that day at that time, they got to where I think in most cases they were, they trusted you enough to let you in on it. I think that's one way to look at it. And the other way is like, sometimes it's an outburst because I've been trying to tell you that I want to be a minister for so long, but you obviously, you don't have the ears to hear that. I guess what I'm saying is be open every time your kid talks to you, like you don't have to be weird about it. But be open to the idea that they're telling you things even when they're not telling you things. It doesn't mean you have to read their mind. But like if a kid lets you in on something, that's a mitzvah. That's a gift that your kid thought enough of whatever that situation was to let you in on it. It's not that your kid just decided to be a minister. It's that your kid finally trusts you enough to say they want to be a minister. Yeah, part of uh, you know the job of knowing where your kid is at when they're young. That's easier because little babies and kids wear their emotions. And you've on got their a panopticon. You've literally got cameras in the room, probably. You're and, watching and, and them. They, you're listening. And they're to them. not. And they don't have the even the, the you know babies don't have the skills to hide their emotions. If they're or upset, drive a taxi. <laughs> yeah, they're, if they're upset, <laughs> that'd be you, so cute. You know about it, right? <laughs> yes. But but as they get older. This this job, this thing that you are employing, making sure you know where your kid is at gets way harder. So they mm-hmm. learn, you know, not maybe not even from you. Maybe say you're the perfect parents. You never teach them this, but they learn from all the rest of the world and every other person in it how and when to hide certain feelings and thoughts that they're having. And your job gets way harder. Like, yeah. you can no longer just look at them and say, I can tell my kid is happy, sad, cranky, that, that tired. Window, right? Those windows will not stay open yeah, forever they close up real shot. fast. And if real you're not tight. careful, mm-hmm. you're going to look over at your kid and you're going to have no freaking idea if they're ready for high school You're going to see an oh. extremely well-behaved kid that does not, so I want to say trust, that does not believe in your relationship enough or, or, to or let like, you in. You're trying to figure out, is my kid ready for the first day of high school? How are they feeling about it? Are they terrified? Is it going to be the worst experience of life? Are they looking forward to it? And you will you will find out, honestly, I don't know the answer. Oh, sure, you can ask them, but let me tell you, at a certain mm-hmm. point, when you ask your children things, they will not answer you anymore. Absolutely, especially you when know? you sit down and look in their eyes and hold their hand and say, we're having a serious conversation right, right now, the, the, which I finally will, learned is a bad idea for my kid. That will, but, and for, it feels for like an kids, intervention. Like that will, that will, like, it works great when they're two, right? But it doesn't, mm-hmm. it stops working eventually because they become little people. And we know you're still, as people, and again, the past, you the past, you're still treating them like this malleable or like this this lump of clay that you can continue to work until it's a, a shape that you find satisfactory. And, and now I'm not trying to, I realize I'm doing the thing I just said I shouldn't do, which is make people scared. But just be aware that all the times that kid has thrown that particular shape to keep you happy, like that, those windows closed, they closed up tight. And like now the avenues are really increasingly not so much there unless it gets real bad 
But like, chances are you're going to learn more about your kid from other people at that point than you are from the kid. Not because of what the kid said, said to you, but how they act, how they see, how they think. And like, you have not, may not make sure, okay, how to put this positively, make sure you're constantly reintegrating new information, even if it means throwing out a precious, not throwing out, but like setting aside a precious thing that was a tentpole. I thought it was really sweet when my kid said, who, who will hold my hand? But I could not be more happy personally. Dare I say proud? It's really annoying. My kid wants, I remember my kid trusting me with a vulnerability once. I said, I'm really proud of you. My kid said, I don't, I don't need your gratitude. And I was like, you can't, can't afford so, your gratitude right you're now. So, okay. <laughs> you're so much better than me. But, but like, but like in terms of the, again, for positive stuff though, when I look back and again, this is one of those things like <laughs> alignment, people should tell you what your alignment is. You should not be allowed to declare it. But I feel like opportunities that I look back on warmly as getting me over a rough patch. It, it wasn't just people giving me a pep talk, but it was because all of the talks that we give to people are really an abstract, like compartmentalized, like suitcase full of ideas. We expect, expect people to carry around. Oh, have you recently re reopened the suitcase of advice that I keep giving you? Like, do you need some more new luggage to hold all of my great ideas? Well, like that's apart from their life. Instead, like how do you reintegrate what you can learn about where, as you say, like where they are, whatever that means, and and then find the most appropriate way to do or more often not do anything. But like if you can't become, it's hard, it's difficult. But like until you can become a better listener, you may not realize how independent your kid is becoming. And again, just for myself, like in terms of Casey's question, like one thing that gets me through it is that I've 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 felt behind since I've the story I used to tell, which is true, is that after labor, you know, you do the skin to skin contact. And I, and I was like, oh, the kid likes it when I, when I, when I rock the baby in this certain way. And it's like that worked for about a day. And then I was really proud of myself that I'd really solved the child calming problem. But the problem was like, I had solved a problem that was already solving itself. I just happened to be there when it got solved. I didn't do anything that distinctive you know, rattling your baby around and make them happy is like something people do. But like, I could put that ribbon on my chest and like make everybody look at it for the next 35 years, but I'm better off going, I'm always back on my heels. I never know what's going on. But like that gives me more reason than ever to listen for the cues that there's a new kind of independence that's about to burst out like a little bud. And like, how do I support that with action rather than trying to reshape it with words, because that becomes less and less valuable. Yeah, to, to wrap up this one big mega question before we move on to the member after show, uh, uh -huh. the, the related part uh, that he put in here, and I think I'm just going to connect that to the top one is how do we not squat? How do I not squander things when my kids are little? What am I missing? And he gave a yeah. trivial thing about like looking at room photos, but I want to tie it into the thing we were just talking about with independence and everything. Knowing where your kid is at, um, and uh, like having that be the main skill that you employ to deal with situations where they're they're achieving a higher level of independence mm -hmm. over time and knowing whether they're ready for that and what role you should play in it. Should you be encouraging? Should you be supporting? Should you be gentle? Should you be like, uh, you know, pushing them a little bit so that they, they can take this next step or whatever? The thing to not squander when your kids are little, it's not squandering really, but it's kind of like the thing to the thing to be aware of is... Well, the thing I think that maybe you can utilize to good effect. Yeah, like, well, so when your kids are little, they need you so much and you are so involved with them. Um, and this connects up to the, like, what are you looking forward to or whatever? It's inevitable parents will look forward to and be proud of their children's achievements 
in independence, partially because, hey, my kid is walking. Right. Especially, right? especially like milestones. Yeah, that my kid is walking or they, you know, they they said something that made me laugh. They told a joke or they pulled one over on me to use your phrase or whatever. Like so, so many things our kids do that we're proud of. It sound dumb for if you're not a parent, but if you're an actual parent, like like your kid poops and you're proud of it. Like you have no idea oh the amount of pride that can come out of you for the for the most trivial things. Right. It's such a relief to everybody. Right? But then, yeah. But then one of the things and dogs, too, you're proud when they poop. Uh, one, Ooh, good boy. One of the things, good boy. Then you go back in the house. Girl, and don't have to be standing out in the rain. Um, <laughs> yeah, you poops. Uh, one one of the things that you look forward to for independence, and this sounds, this is going to sound, again, sound bad to non-parents, but sound exactly right to parents, is as your kids become more independent, it's a relief that you don't have to literally spend every waking moment of your entire life attending to their needs, right? Starting from when they're a baby, where that's literally Cause, cause true. They've, de- they've demonstrated that they can handle and, it. And moving on up. Like, it, it mm-hmm. takes some pressure off of you as a parent to be there every second of the way because you shouldn't be there every second of the day when they're 15 right that's not your role anymore right so that (laughs) is one of the things you look forward to with independence right and but the thing you have to watch out for a thing to to not miss out and not squander is the whole idea of knowing where your kid is at that requires you to in the beginning it doesn't require much of you except for look at your kid observe your kid because it's going to be all on there on the surface but that stuff is going to go from the surface deep inside the kid. And the only way you're ever going right. to know about it is you have to continually build and maintain your relationship with this ever-changing child. And the thing not to squander with a little is don't do the thing where like, oh, they're becoming more independent. And now uh, we all get some relief from parenting. And I'm so proud of them being independent. Don't let them go out to that concentric circle and not come back because you have to put in more and more and more mm. work at building the relationship with your kid, even mm-hmm. as you spend less and less and less work wiping it, their butt. It needs, to, it needs to be dynamic, though. You can't just you don't get credit for last year's victories. Right. And you ha- like you can't just be like, oh, they seem so independent. Now they're all set. I don't have to worry about them anymore. You have to work 10 times harder to build and maintain your relationship with them. With all that said, the stakes go up. The stakes go up at that point. It, you have to have the kind of relationship where they will talk to you about something where you will be on their wavelength whatever your kid whatever way that relationship they, is going to work just, they, even if they to. don't say it to you this is so important if you're a word person like a talking person like I'm a talking person I always think we should talk about the thing and it's like there's ways that you communicate that are not just having a serious talk about something like keep updating that file as you go and, and, and even if they're the type of person this is another weird thing like in real life when we have relationships with people like who who we have this kind of close relationship where we know where they're at it's like your close friends right or you know people mm-hmm. you really relate to your spouse so, and and those people you know especially close friends and spouses are the people you choose right you're very the people you're close with you can choose them and you choose people who you can relate to on that level well yeah. guess what with your kid you don't get to pick and even if your kid <laughs> doesn't communicate the way you communicate you can't say oh well they're just a different kind of person i i can't i don't know how to i don't know how to to build a relationship with them because they're weird you have no choice right even if if you are an extrovert and they're an introvert if they're really quiet and you're really loud or they they they're very secretive and you're not like whatever it is you can't be like oh i don't i'm never going to be like if it was a friend in real life you're like i'm not close with them we're just different kind of people but when it's your kid that's not a choice you have to figure it out. How do I build and maintain this relationship with this person who normally in real life, maybe I wouldn't even have this kind of relationship with because I don't know how to deal with a person like that. But you don't have the choice to say, eh, they're they're different than me. I'm never going to understand what's going inside of their head because if you do that... It's the equivalent of saying, I, I give up. Yeah. You, you can't just be like, ah, I just, it's not going to, you know, obviously every kid is different. Relationships are different with each kids. But what I'm saying is mm-hmm. you have, like, 
as the the thing that you're proud of when your kids are becoming more independent, there is there is the the possibility that you may say that you may be so relieved and so proud that you will think now less is required of me. And what I'm telling you is that actually more is required of you. It is just mm-hmm. very different from what was required before. What you have to do is work hard to build and maintain this relationship to this little practically adult person and not think they're probably all set. They're probably good. They're probably fine. Instead, you have to find a way to build and maintain that close relationship that is so natural to have when they're a baby because they literally need you for everything, right? And they're so easy to love when they're a little baby. And yeah. that changes as they get older and you cannot <laughs> abdicate that responsibility. It's true. It's not pretty, but it's it's really true. That's really good. I, I wasn't going to say this, except now it does seem appropriate. Contra our own feelings on this. What's the name of the... Uh, Remember when Incomparable did uh, did an episode on, quote, Pixar movies? What was the name of that episode? Kids Have Bad Taste, was that one? Something like that, yeah. Um, my, my only, my, my, I should just let this, we should just cut off there because yours was so good. But I do want to add this because it, it's apropos of what Casey's asking in that second part, um, I think. Um, get into stuff your kid likes. Like, I, I, you and I are both, I, I know I'm guilty. I don't want to throw you under the bus, but I know I'm guilty of insisting that my kid have good taste. And that's important. But the problem is there's not really that many steps between I want my kid to have good slash cool taste and like dictating what they're allowed to be attracted to in life. I mean, I'm putting that very generally, but even if we just talk about media, my thing would be like the classic, you know, and they tell you this in the parenting classes and boy, was it ever true. Get on the floor, get on the floor and play with a little kid. Don't stand over a kid, get down there. And like, don't tell them we're building a castle. Uh, Say, I'm, I'm not into blocks. I'm not going to play with them. I'm not really into blocks. It's not really my thing. I guess they're done. Yeah. But I, like, I, w- if you... I would never be friends with that person. They're into Marina. Yeah. So I would ne- I wouldn't, why would I, 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 I would never be friends with somebody who's into Marina. That's ridiculous. <laughs> what a, I just, it's not that they're a bad person. I'm just not into Marina. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, and they like Madagascar, so, you know, I don't have time for it's that. It's not my thing. They, they kind of no. have bad taste. Yeah, you know, well. Again, it's easy. I feel like that's also easier when they're younger because you're like, well, okay, so it's clear that, you know, yes, no, I'm not really into blocks, but I'm playing with a baby. So, uh, yeah, I'm not into this kid. But you get movie. to guide it. Like, I, I, my kid genuinely, with an asterisk, love comics and X-Men. But, I mean, is there any doubt in anyone's mind that if I didn't love Marvel Comics and X-Men, I mean, I guess it's something that was not particularly like obscure. I mean, you're not you're not a giant fan of Genshin Impact, I imagine. But that's you know, you can't say, but ah, I'm not into Genshin Impact, so I'm not I'm not going to talk to my kid for the next five years. No, it's, it doesn't appeal to me. Um, I'm not going to go do digital farming for people. But like, you know, here's an example. It's like that's uh, I don't say too much, but it's just so cool. My kid will have these funny again back to the concentric circles. These funny flirtations with Lego that come and go. And like the latest one is like, they really want to go to Legoland, which was the first park we ever went to as a family when the kid was old enough. We had a great time. We built a fair amount of Lego in our time and some really cool stuff. But here's just here's one example. Like we both really like making Lego. And like traditionally, I, it'll be different next time. We would listen to a podcast, usually uh, like Murder, Murder on the Rockport Limited. We would listen to like Adventure Zone while we made Lego. Now, here's anything about Lego. I'm not trying to make this about consumption. I'm trying to make this about learning what you both enjoy. You both like Lego sometimes. And like you could make a set or you could make from what you've got. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like when it comes to stuff like say blocks in general, and this is kind of an analogy, but also real. Like, so we made Hagrid's Hut. 
like you know not too long ago and we've been working on the giant rocket with the uh with the capsule and everything everything and like now we're looking at we're gonna probably go and get the one where you make like a vase of flowers out of lego and it's like if my kid wants to do that like i i enjoy lego i mean it's not my favorite thing in the world and i'm not one of those like oh lego people but like in that example i'm trying to let my, let my kid figure out what they want to do like together like this is very much a dad in the same way there's certain kinds of things that i'm sure it's like this in your family there's a kid and mom thing a kid and dad thing a kid and sibling thing whatever that is and that's one of our things is lego you know and it's i i'm so happy though that like i can't produce that interest i can't rekindle that interest see also the past is the past but if the kid wants to hang out and like you know and make a vase of flowers out of lego i'm totally into it i'm not going to stand over the kid and go no that's stupid this is just another dumb marketing ploy from the uh the lego people and like we instead we should be sitting here you know I don't know, repairing watches or something because that's more interesting and my friends will think it's cool that my kid fixes watches. Whatever your kid's terrible taste and dumb decision-making, if they express an interest in doing something, like if they express or if you see an opportunity for to do something together when they're little, you can take that. But as they get older, you're not going to get to force your kid to be interested in things. And if you want to continue to have things to do where you can just sit around and some families play cards or games and we make Lego and listen to, you know, uh, the, the brothers McElroy, like cherish the fact again, that you're, that that kid is like into like suffering you at all. And it's the least you could do to make the Lego set that they want to make. Yeah. It doesn't mean you have to be into whatever they're into. It, in fact, I, I, it, I used to hate some of the crap my kid was. I said the science kid was the worst. Well, Caillou's the worst, but like my kid really liked those shows and I got into it and I would sing the songs and like, you know, well, yeah, again, when, when they're very little, I think it's easier to get into because it's so clear that you're just being into a little kid. It thing helps that my kid has legitimately but, great taste. But, but as they really get older, one, one thing to be aware of is they may not want you to be into the thing no. that they're into. That's not what, God, what no. they. That's not what they might even want you to be. But but again, you have to 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 know where they're at. You you have to maintain that relationship <laughs> with them. And in the same way that their friends are, every single one of their friends aren't all into exactly the same thing. There, you don't have to pretend to be into the thing that they're into. You just have to understand where they're at. Remember, remember Amy Poehler and Mean Girls. Remember Mean Girls. Amy Poehler's so good as um, Rachel McAdams's mother. And she like insists on like she's bringing them mimosas and she really wants to like dance with them and all that kind of stuff. Like, oh, you really don't want to be doing that. Right. I mean, and it, knowing where your kid is at is knowing what is it that, that my kid wants and needs from me, which may be two very different things at a point in time. Go away is right. a valid answer. And, and, and am I providing that? Where, where is their head yeah. at? What are they thinking? What are they feeling? What's happening to them? How are they different today than they were yesterday? And how do I fit into that? And that is that's the the job of parenting. It is incredibly difficult. And yeah, th th getting back to the ending thing here is like, if you, you know, what are you squandering when your kids are little? Like as they become more independent, the easiest thing to let go of is like, uh, you know, they're, 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 they're becoming independent. They're doing all this stuff. What a good job I'm doing. Patting yourself on the back when in reality you should, <laughs> what you don't know you're being asked to do is to totally change how your parenting works and start relating to them more as little people and less as kids and to put that. And that is actually harder work and more mm -hmm. difficult because when they're little fleshy lumps, like you just I mean, pick this, them up and put them in a car seat and they'll go to sleep. I mean, this, this is a thing, you know, everyone says it's like when, 
when you have a little baby, it seems like the worst thing in the world. Um, and it seems it's such, and we all gone through the sleep deprivation, all the terrible things It really is extremely difficult. And, very, and then people stressful. say, when I have a teenager, you're like, boy, I wish they were a baby again because teenagers are so difficult. They're both hard. They're both, there's one of them is yeah, not harder kid, than the my other. My kid's sad, but I know where he is. Yeah, but they're, they're, they're hard in very different ways. And that transition from physically hard of like, I, I have no sleep and this kid is screaming and I'm at my wit's end to like emotionally, intellectually hard of, I don't understand this person who's living in the house with me anymore. And when did I stop understanding them? That's where you don't want to be. And so that transition period, as your kids are getting older, the thing not to squander is don't, don't squander your relationship with them. Figure Mm. out how Mm to maintain and transition that relationship from the little baby relationship where you're so proud that they're sleeping through the night and everything seems great to the eventually adult relationship. And bridging that divide, I think, is one of the hardest things in parenting. You're, you're good at this. This is good. Well done. Lighter questions in the members only after show. 